This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, August 2nd, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. Haiti and Rwanda are similar in size, both uniquely suited to produce high-quality coffee. But Rwanda exports 60 times the coffee value than Haiti. All this despite millions of dollars in aid projects in Haiti specifically to boost coffee for export. Tate Watkins is author of Haitian Coffee Grows on Trees. In it, he explores some of the lesser appreciated reasons why Haitian farmers focus more on food and less on longer-term profit opportunities. We spoke last week in Bozeman, Montana. So yeah, I I essentially try to use my experience uh, working in Haiti, living in Haiti, and coffee in particular as kind of a vehicle to tell a story about Haiti. Um, So Haiti has a fascinating history, uh, if often tragic during many periods, um, but especially with respect to coffee. So the French colony that became Haiti, the colony was called Saint-Domingue. This is in the late 1700s, that colony, which is just about the size of Massachusetts, used to grow half of the world's coffee. Um, you know, the world was a much different place back then, but still it's a kind of staggering achievement for such a small place. Um, the, the colony as well was more valuable to France than all the 13 original American British colonies were combined. Um, so this was a hugely productive place, uh, but it was all done on the backs of slaves you know, from Africa. Um, So you have the Haitian Revolution, that whole period, 1804, Haiti becomes an independent nation. Coffee still uh, was super important to Haiti kind of throughout uh, the whole century and really uh, into about the mid-20th century, you could say. Um, But I'll give you one example kind of in that history with coffee. The state heavily taxed coffee exports. So you had essentially, you know, rural Haitians out in the countryside producing coffee, really productive, even, you know, after independence and all that. Um, But then the state, you know, kind of bleeding them dry, as it were, uh, through these taxes that then obviously are just transferring money to the centralized state. Um, So, you know, I I kind of try to use coffee, trace a little bit of that history to get to present day. Uh, The kind of story there is that over the last 30 years, coffee production has been gradually declining in Haiti. Uh, Official exports have kind of plummeted over that same time. Um, And I essentially try to explore kind of some of the reasons for that uh, and really talk about coffee as not not an especially um, unique case. It's just kind of a product of the wider Haiti context, which gets into kind of the history and the political institutions. Countries like Rwanda uh, compare with Haiti fairly similarly with re- with respect to agricultural capabilities, yeah. and yet Rwanda exports 60 times the value of coffee that Haiti does. Mm-hmm. Give me some of the factors that would account for differences in countries like Rwanda and Haiti exporting, we're talking high-end coffee, exporting dramatically different amounts of value. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it just uh, isn't all that related to coffee at the end of the day. So in Haiti, for instance, um, you know, if you're if you're having trouble feeding your family a few months out of the year, say, you're not going to spend a bunch of time, you know, uh, working on your cash crop, essentially coffee. You're going to grow beans and corn or other food crops and spend most of your time on those products. Uh, then the question, I guess, is, well, why is that the case in Haiti? And again, um, a lot of that to me goes back to, you know, you could call it political instability if you want. You could call it, again, those kind of fundamental 
foundations of the country. So just to give you one example of that, in the last 30 years, which is kind of roughly the period I focus on with respect to coffee and, you know, different aid projects to kind of revitalize the coffee sector throughout that period. But just take the last 30 years since 1986. Um, the term limit for a Haitian president is five years. So you'd think you should have had six presidents over that time. But it's actually been about 18. It kind of depends on how you count. But, you know, that includes interim presidents during times of political instability, coups, etc. Um, but and that includes the interim president that's in power today, again, due to basically years of political impasse and delayed elections. So you mentioned aid projects that were aimed at revitalizing the coffee industry, particularly for export. What, what have been those groups' expectations going in? And what has been their rate of success in actually achieving some sustainable sort of uh, self-reinforcing gains for that industry? So I kind of <clears throat> I kind of joke that it seems like every six months or so there's a conference planned in Haiti with you know different NGOs and aid groups and local players, and it's always called the same thing, which is something along the lines of relaunching the coffee sector in Haiti. But basically, in the book. It, I focus on USAID particularly, but, you know, there are a lot of other private organizations that have, you know, done similar projects in coffee for export uh, specifically over the last 25 years or so. Um, and in some of my research, I found that at least $25 million has been spent over those 25 years just on coffee projects. So you'd say, okay, if there's been all this effort, all this kind of outside um, emphasis and focus on these projects and all this money, well, you know, what's the punchline? And basically it's that if you look at any data point on the sector or talk to any coffee farmer for that matter, um, there's been very little hard results. Uh, so coffee production has declined by about 50% since the 1980s. Official exports have declined by about 95%, basically plummeted. Um, and I guess you could say, yeah, well, maybe those figures would look even worse if it weren't for these issues. But um, a lot of the, the kind of section of the book on that aid and coffee specifically um, traces essentially a lot of the ways that many of those projects have kind of misunderstood some of, in my opinion, some of these kind of fundamental factors, whether related to coffee production in Haiti or, you know, the, the wider kind of political uh, context that you are necessarily working in, um, and also try to pick out particularly some of the ways that incentives haven't been aligned as well as they could be, let's say, uh, in a lot of these projects. So you, you look at what would be a natural growing environment for producing high-end coffee, decades of aid projects in uh, attempting to revitalize uh, that industry, and examples of places with similar uh, clim climate being able to export tens of times more in value uh, than Haiti does, there's something about the expectations of farmers that is just different. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, most of those things relate to factors that have very little to do with coffee, which essentially gets back to that kind of the wider, the, the institutions that govern the place that are, you know, 200 plus years in the making. Um, but with respect to coffee particularly, so I kind of use Rwanda a little bit as a foil in the book, um, or not a foil, but a comparison, I guess. 
and kind of you you touched on the way you know Rwanda has been very successful at essentially this for export you know high quality high end coffee uh, model, and you know they they collectively their farmers make about sixty million dollars in exports off of coffee. Haiti makes about one or two million each year, um, and I will say too a lot of that push kind of in Rwanda was led by USAID and other groups like that. Um, but I think there's a fundamental difference in the way that, say, farmers responded there and, and in the way that a lot of those projects were set up. So just to take one quick example, in Haiti, virtually all of the, you have essentially a, a wet mill. It's like the big you know, processing facility where coffee is turned from a cherry, which you know coffee grows on a tropical fruit tree. These two seeds inside each cherry are, become coffee beans, basically. And the place that that process is at least started, the first few steps are done, is called a wet mill. So in Haiti, virtually all of these wet mills, these big facilities, have been plopped down by an aid group or an NGO. Farmers have absolutely no equity in the ventures. Um, and so, you know, they don't really have any long-term, uh, you know, accountability or just kind of reason to, to be interested in long-term success generally. Um, and even if you do find some farmers who have that buy-in, uh, virtually all of these mills have been built in kind of a Central American context. They're giant structures, a lot of concrete, basically ill-suited for the low production volumes and yields in Haiti. So say in Rwanda, for instance, and other places in East Africa, a lot of these projects have been done very similarly, but with micro mills, as you'd call them. So essentially much more suited to the, the kind of supply chain or just scale there. <clears throat> but then also... With a lot of these projects, farmers contributed bamboo or rocks for the foundation of these places and also contributed sweat equity, essentially. So there's just kind of a very different uh, outlook in with regard to a lot of those things. So for aid groups, they are coming in and uh, the farmers themselves don't don't have a share of this. Their, their expectations often yeah. uh, are not going to be the same as a group of farmers that got together and decided, well, we're all going to own this mill that is suited to our needs, and then we're going to profit from it. But still, Haitians haven't apparently don't seem to have done that either. Right. And so uh, the other thing I'd say about, and I kind of trace through a lot of these projects, is that you know, essentially all of these USAID projects in Haiti over recent decades and many other similar projects have focused exclusively on what's called washed coffee, the coffee that's produced at these mills that then goes on to be sold to Starbucks or, say, a Blue Bottle or Stumptown high-end shop like that, focuses exclusively on that tiny, tiny segment in Haiti that still produces for export, essentially, uh, and kind of ignores, I would say, the vast majority of the market that is essentially Haitians producing a low-quality product that's much worse. You know, you can't export it, essentially, just bad quality coffee, quote-unquote, um, but it's much less risky. The payoff is a lot sooner. A lot of times you're paid cash in hand as opposed to maybe paid a little bit today and then the promise of another payment in six months once you know the roaster finally buys that coffee and it trickles back down to the farmer. Um, and also, you know, there's just the, just kind of agriculturally speaking, coffee is a, a tree crop, a perennial tree crop. It takes four years to give its first harvest from the time you plant a seedling, as opposed to, say, beans or corn in the tropics have a harvest every four or five months. 
And so again, if you're you know struggling to feed your family a few months out of the year, you may not cut down on your coffee trees that your dad planted out back. You'll leave them. They're going to produce almost nothing because you're not you know taking any sort of maintenance care in terms of crop maintenance. Uh, so you'll make a little bit of money off of them. Maybe pay one of your kids' school fees uh, that year. But most of your time and energy is going to be devoted to food crops. And that's exactly essentially what you see in Haiti today. The part of your story that I can't get over is you add up all of these things that would contribute to farmers self-interested making these big investments on behalf of the future uh, and all this foreign money coming in trying to help them do it. And it seems that political stability simply overwhelms all of these uh, factors that would naturally contribute to Haitian farmers making a lot more money for themselves. Yeah. So <clears throat> I'll try to maybe give an anecdote that sheds some light on that, hopefully. Um, but so I researched the coffee sector for a little bit for an organization that was interested in potentially working in the coffee sector in Haiti. Wound up man helping manage a project, working with small-scale farmers, essentially trying to avoid a lot of these kind of misaligned incentive issues and these other things that we've been talking about, um, or at least set things up in a way to do that as much as possible, given that wider context in Haiti. Um, but we, uh, you know, one thing that goes into that is testing different varieties, uh, seeing how different coffee varieties perform in Haiti. Uh, with respect to yield or disease resistance or just quality, those sorts of things. So we, some of those were from Brazil. We had a shipment of seed from Brazil, had all of the uh, approval from the Ministry of Agriculture, the Department of Quarantine, essentially, within the ministry. Um, you know, everything as far as customs, all those things, everything, you know, uh, every I dotted, every T crossed, which is important in a essentially French uh, continental law country like Haiti. Um, but it still took about six months for us to get those seed, that shipment of seed out of customs and, you know, to the farm to where we could actually start producing those seedlings and, and then four years later, see how they do. Okay. Um, and you know, our Haitian agronomist I worked closely with, you can imagine how frustrated he is at those sorts of things. Cause he just sees those seed, you know, sitting there in a hot warehouse at the airport, essentially drying up, um, but, you know, that's a tiny slice, obviously, of that story. But that's just symptomatic to me of the, the kind of red tape or the, the friction, really, that you have to deal with in Haiti to get anything done. And, you know, on top of that, it's then that uh, kind of history, as I point to in the book of, you know, I, I essentially cite different kind of commentators or historians or academics on Haiti talking about, at the end of the day, the state as a private industry was kind of, I argued, the fundamental institution that developed in Haiti. And, you know, that kind of trickles down to me to it taking six months to get a shipment of seed out of customs um, and lots of other things, you know, that are much more serious, obviously, that Haitian coffee farmers say are just ten, 10 million Haitians across the country have to deal with day in and day out. Do these aid groups fundamentally look at these institutional barriers and say, this is probably where we actually ought to be focusing some energy? Uh, I'd say for the most part, no. I mean, it's not surprising to me, at least, you know, a lot of whether you're talking bigger multilateral or bilateral aid groups or smaller in private NGOs, 
you know, a lot of them are not, a lot of them kind of take politics as a given or they say, oh, we're not political. We're just here trying to, you know, help coffee farmers in the hills in rural Haiti. And to me, you know, that's obviously extremely naive because everything is political at the end of the day uh, regarding aid or regarding kind of how all these issues in Haiti affect every, every farmer, you know, no matter how far out in the countryside they are. Um, you know, one quote I have in the book is from a historian. Um, <clears throat> he essentially says, um, you know, basically rural Haitians were trying to carve out their own way of life in the countryside and kind of came to see the state, you know, as this kind of predatory force, essentially, that was just best when it was absent altogether and leaving them alone completely. Um, I'd say, unfortunately, that, you know, the, the Haitian state hasn't just left alone rural Haitians for all those years, and it would be better probably if they had, let alone trying to, you know, actually build roads or maybe provide a functioning education system or some things like that that even the most staunch libertarians could maybe agree the state should do. Tate Watkins is author of Haitian Coffee Grows on Trees. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.